Welcome to Mosaic Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Mosaic Church Leeds, based in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information on Mosaic Church, please visit mosaic-church.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Hi everyone, you've got the Pearson Show tonight. You all came for that, didn't you? Great. Um, just want to say before I start, it's just it's fantastic to be here. We've got loads of friends here, um, and obviously... We were in Mosaic when it was it was one church, and now it's been spread across the city. But it's just amazing to come and worship with you guys, to come and see you, uh, to come and be with you. We've got some great friends here, and it, I just want to encourage you. It's just great to see what's happening here. We're hearing all the stories. It's absolutely fantastic. So brilliant. I want to start with a quick survey, okay? Hands up, please, if you've watched at least one episode from a box set series or any sort of TV series. Last week. Okay. Uh, just last week. At least one episode. Two episodes. Three. Four. Five. Seven. Ten. Twenty-four. Fifty. <laughs> Brilliant. What is it? We absolutely are obsessed with box sets at the moment, aren't we? You know, we've, we've got Netflix at the moment. Netflix doesn't even allow you to click on the next episode. It just plays it automatically. <laughs> what is that all about? And w- w- why is it that we just are so obsessed and we want to keep watching that next episode? Is it the special effects? Is it, is it the, the, things, the scenes that we're seeing? But actually, I think what it is, it, is it, it's that storyline. It's that common thread that's running through that series that means we want to keep watching. We want to keep finding out what's going to happen next. And uh, we can kind of see... Well, as Christians, we kind of see the, the Bible is a bit like the most epic box set series. Okay, It's full of characters. It's full of different uh, series, different things going on. And we're at a point where we're looking at in the first sort of series in Genesis and looking at the story of Joseph. Now, any good series, any good story has to have a hero. And for me, my favorite box set has got to be 24 and it's got to be Jack Bauer. What an absolute beast of a man. Everyone wants to be like Jack Bauer. Uh, what we're going to find with the story we're looking at today, as Jack Bauer saves America from terrorists, we're going to learn about Joseph saving Egypt from starvation. But we're also going to see this, this common thread, this theme that runs right through the Bible, that uh, there's a master plan that God's putting into motion to save us from sin and death. And that plan is through Jesus Christ. So, uh, we're going to learn about Joseph. We're going to learn about Joseph being a man of real power, a man of real humility, and a man who offers real hope. But we're also going to see that Joseph is a foreshadow of Jesus, a man who gives all, who has ultimate power, serves with ultimate humility, and offers us ultimate hope. So we've been in this series for about five weeks now. I'm sure you've heard lots of the story up to this point. But, so I'm going to try and recap what's happened so far. And we're going to try and do this as quickly as we possibly can. Okay, there's going to be some images come up. If the guy can keep up with me, this will be interesting. But here we go. So, Joseph, born of Jacob, uh, uh, one of 12 brothers. He has a dream where he sees his brothers bowing down to him. His brothers get really, really jealous and nearly murder him and then throw him into a pit. <laughs> Instead of murdering him, they end up selling him as a slave and he is taken to Egypt. When he's in Egypt, he's bought uh, by a guy called Potiphar and becomes head of the household of Potiphar. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
during which time uh, Potiphar's wife actually tries to seduce him. Uh, and Joseph literally runs off. Uh, but when, when he's, he's run off, he's actually accused of rape and ends up uh, in prison. Uh, while in prison, uh, he meets Pharaoh's butler and Pharaoh's baker, who um, Pharaoh's not happy with, throws him in prison. And this is a tenuous link, Inception. He somehow interprets their dreams. Uh, the butler turns out fine. He's going to be okay. He goes back to Pharaoh, but the baker ends up uh, being killed by Pharaoh. He wasn't happy. Uh, Joseph like, says to the, baker, to the butler, remember me when you go back, remember me. But the butler forgets, 13 years in prison, Joseph is, um, unfairly. Finally, after 13 years, Pharaoh has a dream, and he has this weird dream of seven healthy cows and seven ugly cows, and the, and the seven ugly cows end up eating the seven healthy cows. Then he has a second dream where there's these ears of corn, and there's some good ears of corn, and then these seven bad, scrawny ears of corn, and they eat up that. Pharaoh, clearly troubled and confused, uh, and at that point, the butler remembers, ah, there's this guy called Joseph. He does this crazy inception thing. I'm going to uh, tell Pharaoh about him. And Pharaoh comes uh, and gets Joseph in front of him and explains to uh, Joseph the dreams. That's what's happened so far. So we're going to dip into the story now, picking up from Genesis Chapter 41 from verse 25. So if you've got a Bible, it's be a good point to, uh, to get that out. But the words are going to be on the screen as well. So it's quite a lengthy passage, so I'm going to try and plow through it. But here we go. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterwards are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain, scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. <clears throat> The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these seven good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one, who is, one in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put on a gold chain round his neck. 
He had him ride a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way. Thus he put in in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one can lift hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphenath Paneath, I've got that right, but anyway, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went through the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food and produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up the huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. And then on to verse 53. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in the whole land of Egypt there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. Now, we've got two um, very contrasting uh, figures here. We've got on the one side, we've got Pharaoh. Now, Pharaoh being the king of Egypt, a dictator figure, he probably thought he was a god himself. And, sorry. And then on the other side, we've got Joseph just brought out a prisoner, been in prison for 13 years. And we're going to see here a, a shift, a, a change in power. And the point that we're going to get here is that real power actually comes from God. Ultimately, he is in control. We actually see in that text, Pharaoh actually says that himself. Even though he thought he was this, um, this, this God figure himself, he's, he's powerless, he's, he's helpless, he doesn't know what to do. And he says, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh. And later on he says, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God, Pharaoh himself acknowledging God. He then says to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one as discerning and wise as you. So we see at this moment that then Pharaoh actually appoints Joseph essentially as prime minister um, over Egypt. So there's a shift in power going on. We've got Pharaoh, had everything, yet doesn't know what to do, and is essentially out of control. On the other side, we've got Joseph, a prisoner, has nothing but knows exactly what to do because God is in control. So that's the first thing. The second thing is there's a real pivot point in, in, in the text. It comes at verse 33 where Joseph says, and now. And what Joseph does from here, he's acknowledged that the interpretation, uh, the dream's been given by God, this famine's going to happen, that's what's gonna. That's what's gonna take place. Doesn't hesitate. He goes straight into saying, uh, "This is what's gonna happen," and he sets out this plan. We've got it on the screen now. Uh, if this was a uh, leadership conference, I'd be chatting about my five-point plan here um, and how amazing it is. Uh, but this is what this is what he sets out. First of all, you need a wise and discerning man. So you need leadership. 
He says you need commissioners, so you need to build a team around you. Uh, he says you need to collect one-fifth of produce, uh, so he's got a strategy, he's focusing on the details. Uh, it needs to be stored under the authority of Pharaoh, so you need a system around that. And he gives a clear purpose and aim to, to why it's doing it. You know, this is going to stop Egypt from being ruined. What's interesting here is, first of all, we've got the dream and the interpretation of it. And it's clear that Joseph says, this is what's going to happen. This is God, God has given, given this interpretation. This will take place. Essentially, we've got the divine plan. Then on the other side, we've got Joseph who doesn't hesitate. He just he acts accordingly to what he thinks is right. So on the one side, we've got divine plan. And on the other side, we've got human action. And they meet together. And why is that important? Well, for us, a lot of the time, we want to be in control. We want to be in control of our lives. We want to find meaning. And we often find it through our position or our status. And we try to keep hold of that control. And that's what Pharaoh was doing. He thought you know, he had everything. He had that role. But in this case, we see that he's actually out of control. He doesn't know what to do. Or we can be like Joseph. Even though he had nothing, he trusted in God. And he trusted in God for 13 years. And at this point, he doesn't hesitate, continues to trust him, and sets out what to do. Now, for me, this is massive for me. Because I've, uh, so just to give a bit of context, I'm now a, a head of a department in a, quite a challenging school in South Leeds. And um, before I got this role, um, I always had big ambitions. Like, I did the Teach First program, if any of you have heard of this. And it's like they drill the mission into you about saving the world through education and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, I'm going to be that savior. I'm going to be the one who's going to do this. I'm going to go into this school and we're going to make a difference and make an impact. And I often, I can still, I still have those moments where I do that now. And what I, what I remember actually seeing, like God essentially put this image in my mind, is what I was doing is I was trying to sit on the throne. I was trying to sit on that throne um, like Pharaoh did. But actually, I came to realize that, you know, it's God who's on the throne. It's God who's actually in control. And there was a shift for me where I had to realize that no matter what I do, it's God who's, who's, who has ultimate power. It's God who's in control. I don't need to try and be that savior. I don't need to try and do that. I just need to respond like Joseph did to what I see right in front of, right in front of him and act accordingly. Key thing there is that we can trust God says in Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. Pharaoh, he's understanding, he didn't know what to do. Whereas Joseph, he just trusted in God and acted accordingly. We can do that. God is in control. We can trust in him. So we've seen that Joseph, the man of real power. Secondly, we're going to see that he's a man of real humility. In those first few verses from uh, verse 25 onwards, he actually mentions God five times. What he's doing there is he's glorifying God while humbling himself. He could have easily taken that on himself and say, yeah, I know what you need to do, Pharaoh, this, this, and this. But he glorifies God. He lifts him up. Um, and that's there he's showing, he's showing complete humility. Secondly, we see that Joseph... Incredible. He has this, exactly the same attitude and exactly the same response uh, as when he's a slave 
and he's head of the household for Potiphar. When he's a prisoner in prison, he actually became the, the manager of the prison. I mean, who becomes a manager of a prison that they're a prisoner in? Um, and then when, when he's given this uh, commission, you know, he's dressed up in, in Pharaoh's robes and he's made uh, prime minister, we see exactly the same attitude. He didn't actually say at any point, I'm your man, I'm the one who's going to do this. He waits and then he just responds to exactly what he has to do. He has exactly the same attitude um, at every single point. And again, that is massive for us because often, back to when I was thinking before about me being wanting to be on the throne, I feel then I have to have a certain role or I have to have a certain status to be able to make that impact or to have that influence. But that's not the case. I can serve God no matter what situation that I'm in. And actually, he calls us to do that. He calls us to serve him in any situation. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 17 in the New Testament, it says this, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them, just as God has called them. Also in, in Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verse 6, it says, Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. What is this pointing to here? Well, I think for us, it's three things. It's one, accepting what God has given you. And that is that those are our skills. We all have skills, abilities, talents, things that we're able to, uh, to essentially give to God. And we don't need to spend time thinking, oh, I wish I was like better at this, or I wish I could do more of this. We can accept the skills that we have. God's given them to us. We can be content with where you are, the situation that God has put us in. Again, there's this whole thing, oh, I wish I had that job, or I wish I lived in that house. or you know, we, we can do that all the time. But actually, again, it's being content with the situation that we're in. And finally, work as if we're working for God. That verse there, serve wholeheartedly. That's the service that we can offer. So skills, situation, and service. That is how we live for God, with real humility. Finally, in the story, uh, Egypt found in Joseph real hope. It says it from verse 55, When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told, told all the Egyptians, Go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses, sold the grain to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and the whole world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So what we're seeing is that Egypt found real hope in Joseph, and he saved them from starvation. But up till now, what I've been talking about is essentially just moral teaching. I'm just a, taking a story and applying it. But we as Christians, we believe there's so much more to that. Because we believe in the gospel. And the gospel is found in a man, Jesus. What we find in this story is that Joseph is actually a foreshadow to Jesus. Joseph had a part to play in this story leading up to Jesus up to this point. Because if, if uh, Egypt hadn't been saved, Israel wouldn't have been saved. We wouldn't have seen this lineage that goes right from Abraham, the, the father of the, the nation of Israel, right up to the point where Jesus is born. And why is it so significant that Jesus was born? We're going to find that he's actually our saviour from sin and death. 
So where Egypt found real power in Joseph, we actually find ultimate power in Jesus. It says in uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So what we find in Jesus, where Joseph had real power, he was able to be the prime minister and save Egypt, we actually see in Jesus ultimate power. He's, a, he's able to save every single person, no matter where you come from, what age you are, whatever situation you're in, he's able to save us from sin and death. Secondly, where Egypt found real humility in, in Joseph, we find ultimate humility in Jesus. You only have to look at the life of Jesus to see the humility that, that, that is so evident in his life. First of all, he was born in a manger. He was essentially born in an animal's feeding trough. doesn't get more humble a birth than that. Everything that he did, he, he honors God. I only see what the Father um, tells me to do. I only do what the Father does. He, he healed the sick. He hung out with people um, that no one else wanted to hang out with. Uh, he made his, his uh, disciples just, at, they were working class men. He was, he, was, he was a humble guy. There's a bit in the, in, in the Gospels where he actually washes the disciples' feet. He does essentially what a slave, a servant would do. He washes their feet. Complete act of humility. And right up to the point before his death, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying out to God. And he knows what he needs to do. And he's so desperate at that point. The weight is so much. And he says, Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. But yet not my will, but yours be done. Like Joseph committed and saw out the plan to the end, that's what Jesus did. He went right to the extent of dying on the cross for doing what, for doing what God wanted him to do. And that death on the cross, it's not some glorious event. You know, that was the worst way to die at that point. And he did that for us. He got the job done. We see in, it says in Philippians 2, uh, describing Jesus and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on the cross. Why is this so important that Jesus died? Well, the, the gospel, the, the message that we believe is that we were created by God to be in relationship with him. He created us out of love. That's why we were made. But we were given that choice to either follow him or to choose our own way. And we chose our own way. And the Bible calls that sin. And that there's a consequence to sin. And that consequence is death. It means that we've been separated from God. And the only way to appease that is the death. Right up to the point before Jesus is born, there had to be sacrifice made. Blood had to be shed to enable people to come back to God. What we see in Jesus, he was the ultimate sacrifice, that the ultimate shedding of blood, the ultimate death, that actually we don't have to die. We don't have to accept that consequence for our sin because Jesus has done that for us. What's the consequence of that is that we now have life in him. We have life in Jesus. So finally, where Egypt found real hope in Joseph, we find ultimate hope 
in Jesus. We see in the story, Egypt, Egypt and the surrounding nations came to Joseph to be saved from starvation. The whole world comes to Jesus to be saved from sin and death. This is the gospel. And just as um, Egypt would have saved, uh, would have perished if it hadn't been for Joseph, so we actually will perish if it isn't for Jesus. And that's why this verse, the most famous verse in the Bible, is so important. It says in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This life isn't just it. You know, and I think, to be honest, I think sometimes I'm like, if this was just it, it's not that great because there's some really tough times. We have to go through really hard times and you see so much suffering in the world. We saw so much difficulty, but th that's not what the Bible says. This life is not it. We are to have true life, eternal life in Jesus. So we have a decision to make. And... You know, for a lot of us, we've made that decision and we've been living for, for God. We've been living for Jesus for many years now. And I've, I've yet to meet anyone who truly believes in God, truly believes in Jesus, that regrets that decision to follow him. It's this wave of faith, this, this, this life that you lead. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. Yes, it's tough. It's not an easy win at all. Yes, it's hard. But it is so, it's so good and there's so much joy that you find in living for Jesus. But for some of us, we haven't, you know, we're at that point where we haven't made this decision. You know, you might, may not even believe that the words that I'm saying are true. But we do, you do have a choice to make. You can choose to follow him. In the story, Pharaoh himself actually said, go to Joseph. And what I'm saying to you guys now is go to Jesus. Romans 10 verse 9, it says this, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You will be saved. And that is amazing. This life is not it. You know, that consequence of sin, that's, that's not it. That, that death that we get because of that, that is not it. We find true life. We try and find eternal life in Jesus. So just to close, We've seen at the beginning, we, we, re we talked about the, the, the thread of the Bible all the way through is this God's master plan to save us, and that's through Jesus. We found in, in Joseph a man of real power, of uh, real humility and real hope. But we also see that Joseph was a foreshadow to Jesus, and in him we find ultimate power, humility, and hope. Hope that he saves us from sin and death and gives us eternal life. Trust in him, believe in him, live for him. It's worth it.